one question. If your life was a motion picture, if your whole life was a motion picture and you were able to see it and it was flashed before you in a movie, like a movie style, what would you want to see yourself doing in that picture? What would you want to see yourself doing in the story of your life? What's the number one overarching characteristic or activity or way that you would want your life to be lived if your life was a story, a movie? Because the truth is, it is a story. I asked somebody this question this week. My, My two oldest children, I took them to go get some snow cones right around the corner from here at a place called TC Shaved Ice. And we're sitting down there and this older gentleman pulls up, uh, older Hispanic guy, pulls up on his Harley. He's been working at this auto body shop place for about 30 years and it's kind of a habit for him to stop and get his banana snow cone uh, before he goes home to cool off after a long day of work. And so my children are there and we're having a good time. They're laughing and playing and he has a son and a daughter of his own and so he's reminded his own children and, and his bringing his children up. And he communicated some desire to point them in a different direction that he went in. He didn't claim to be a religious person. He claimed to be a Catholic, but not really a practicing Catholic. So I asked him this question. I said, you know, if you were to die today and, and God were to show you your whole life before you on a movie, like a, you were to see it before you, what would you want to see yourself doing? What's the number one thing you'd want to see yourself doing? And for me, the way that I would answer that question, if I were to sum it up in a statement, uh, a sentence, I would say, I would want to see myself loving God and loving people. Loving God and loving people. And so I shared that with them. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight, Christ-centered relationships. And so I went on in, um, in, in this conversation. This gentleman's name was Mario. And Mario shared with me how he was proud of his daughter who's in college now, and his son who's a video editor, and, and he's a, a successful one and making good money at doing that, and I shared with him, you know, if, if God were to show you your whole life and, and there were things that you don't want to be on there, I said, here's the good news, Mario, the good news is that God is the best, the expert at video editing, he can take the bloopers and all the, 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 the stuff that you don't want in there that he wants to forgive and cleanse and, and totally erase that and give you new history, a new story. The scripture says that through the blood of Jesus, God forgives all our sins and he remembers them no more. And so I shared with him this gospel truth as my kids were bouncing off the table after eating their snow cone. Relationships matter to God. Loving Him, first and foremost, and loving one another matters. Jesus summed up the the whole Old Testament by, by saying, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength. Christianity is about loving God and loving people. It's about relationships. The Bible puts so much value on relationships. And yet many of us have some of our deepest wounds and brokenness and pain around Relationships, relationships where things that were done wrong to us or where, where we've done wrong to others and we failed to love like God commands us to love. And so we're going to look at tonight what a Christ-centered relationship looks like, what, what a relationship that's 
looks like that's marked by Christ. What are the marks of a, of a Christ-centered relationship of somebody, two people who love Jesus and are following Jesus and putting Christ first? The book of Colossians over and over emphasizes the supremacy of Christ. Jesus being number one. Jesus being first. Jesus being our all. Jesus being sufficient. Jesus being everything. And that's what we've been talking about for these past several weeks because we want Jesus as a church, we want Him to be the main thing around here, the main one that we're excited about more than any football game, more than any Olympics games, more than any whatever, you name it. We want Jesus to be our greatest passion here. We want to know Jesus, love people, and impact our world. And so we're going to uh, turn to Colossians chapter 3. And I'm going to read starting in verse 12. And here's the big idea here. Look up at the screen there. Here's the big idea. Here's where we're going. The gospel of Jesus Christ changes us, and it changes how we live and relate to one another. The gracious manner in which Christ has dealt with us leads us to relate to others with that same grace and love. As Christ followers who consider Jesus to be all and in all, we are to have Christ-centered relationships. Okay, so that's where we're going tonight, and we're going to look at five marks of a Christ-centered relationship from Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 12, it says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another... Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, Jesus giving thanks to God and the Father through Him. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. We'll, we'll finish up. We'll stop there and, and we'll finish up that second half later. So here's where we're going. Christ-centered relationships are first marked by grace and love. By the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. So Paul says, put on then, as God's chosen ones as being, you're chosen, you're holy, and you're loved. Beloved. Put on then compassionate hearts, kindness, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, and then above everything, put on love. Okay, he's using language describing like clothing. So he already said in the first, earlier on in the chapter, put off those old clothes. Okay, of the, the works of the flesh and, and the, the selfishness, the lying, the malice, the anger, the greed, the covetousness, and so on. Put those things off and put on this new outfit that's fitting for you as a child of God, as a follower of Christ. God has this custom fitted outfit for you to put it on. You know, right now, um, uh, a lot of young people are getting new outfits for school. They're going back to school. We were at the Town East Mall yesterday uh, talking to some folks about Christ. And 
it was it was packed out, and I didn't realize it was a ta- is it was a tax free weekend yesterday. So folks were shopping, getting their new outfits, getting ready for school so they can get their swag on. Y'all remember that back in high school, junior high? You go get your new clothes for the first day of school, first week of school. I remember I at least had a week's worth of clothes to wear, and then I'd just wear them over again and change them up a little bit. But, you know, get that new, that fresh outfit. And, and we have a new outfit in Christ. Love, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Forgiveness, bearing with one another, and so on. It's fitting for us as Christians to live like that because Jesus is like that, and because we're God is like that, and we're God's children. We're His children. So it's fitting for us to act like Dad, right? To love people like Dad loves people. You know, and I think this starts with us first knowing that we're loved by God. Knowing that he set us apart, that he's chosen us, and we're loved by him. You know, if, if we don't first receive love from God, we don't have it to give out to other people. We first got to receive it, and he loves us so much, and we just most of, many times don't get it. We just don't get how much he loves us. That's why the Apostle Paul made it his prayer for the Ephesians in chapter 3, that they would be able to grasp and comprehend the depth and the height and the width of God's love, that they would really know it by the power of the Holy Spirit. They would know that they're loved by God, that God is for them. You see, when, when you receive the gospel, God pours out his love into your hearts. He showers down grace and mercy on your life. And there's this domino effect that occurs. Like waves of love and grace and mercy crash over you and flow into your life and wash and change and, and renew you and cleanse you. And you're, you're new, you're free, you're forgiven, you're accepted, you're loved by God. And there's this domino effect where you just can't help but start loving other people too. Because God loves you. He, gives, he puts his love in you, he gets it to you, and then he gets it through you. By the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we're to, we're to live like this. Christ-centered relationships are marked by this grace and love. Uh, notice verse 13. Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. We need to treat others better than they deserve to be treated. You know, our relationship with Jesus is based on grace. Okay, don't, don't ever forget that. Your relationship, if you have a relationship with Jesus, it's based on grace. It's a free gift, undeserved, blessing of God that you didn't merit, you didn't earn status with him. You received it as a free gift. Salvation is a free gift, and it's based on grace. And he forgives you, not because you did something for it, but because he did something for it. He died in your place so that you can be forgiven and free. And so you receive that. And that's the basis that Paul says, treat others like that. Treat them better than they deserve. Spouses, husbands and wives, treat your spouses better than they deserve. If we did that, husbands and wives, we would have a Christ-centered marriage. If we treated each other better than we deserve, if we loved each other, when, when we, you know, even when there's bad attitudes and, and you know, the husband or the wife doesn't do what the, the other one wanted them to do, and yet there's just love that keeps coming their way, that's a Christ-centered marriage. It's a Christ-centered relationship, and we'll get to that part here. That's going to be, that's very practical. You know, I love this in in chapter 3 of Colossians where Paul's going from these big theological ideas like um, verse 1 and 2 and 3 that 
that you died with Christ, you, you're raised with Christ, your life is hidden with Christ and God, you're going to appear with Him in glory, you're going to see Him. So he goes from these big theological awesome truths to these down-to-earth, on-the-ground practical truths of like, husbands love your wives, you know, uh, wives submit to your husbands, children obey your parents, and so on. And so the Bible's practical. The Bible gives us practical ways to live our lives and, and to center, here, to center our lives around Christ. So Christ-centered relationships are marked by grace and love. Amen? So the next thing is this, that Christ-centered relationships are marked by the peace of Christ. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body, and be thankful let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Okay, so in, in this chapter, you got the peace of Christ. you got the word of Christ. you got the name of Christ. Forgiving like Christ has forgiven us. Or, so you, I'm summarizing it as the grace of Christ or the love of Christ. Love, you know, put on that love. So it's all about Christ. It's living a Christ-centered life and having Christ-centered relationships. And if we're going to have peace with one another, we need, first we need peace with God. Right? It starts here. It starts with us by putting our faith in Jesus Christ and we have peace with God. We're made right with God. We're not hostile towards God any longer. We're not enemies of God any longer. We have peace with God. The gospel, the good news, is the good news of the gospel of peace. We find peace with God, but then that should translate into every other relationship. Blessed, Jesus said, blessed are what? The peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. Peacemakers, okay? Not troublemakers. Not blessed are the troublemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. See, when you become a Christian and a child of God, you're a peacemaker because you have peace with God. And Paul's telling the Colossians to let that peace rule in your heart. Uh, one idea is the idea of a, like an umpire calling the shots. Ball. Bow, out, you're out of here. Uh, so peace, right? Uh, the Greek word actually is used for, for those who work in the Olympic Games. We've got the Olympics going on now. So those who are kind of helping guide and direct like an umpire or a referee in the Olympics. And so in relationships, when you cross the boundary and you're a little harsh or a little unkind or a little inconsiderate, or not appreciating somebody, neglecting or taking somebody for granted. What often happens if we're Christians, in those relationships, we cross those boundaries, and all of a sudden, we're, your peace is gone. You have a hard time sleeping, or there's something kind of bothering you because you, you crossed your, your spouse, you crossed your brother in Christ, your, your roommate, your coworker. You know, you did something against them that you knew wasn't right, and you lose this peace. And so notice here at, at the second part of um, verse 15, it says, to which indeed you are called in the one body. So the Bible emphasizes over and over the unity of the body of Christ. We're members of one another, and we're to function together in harmony. And peace, have peace with one another. We're told in Hebrews 12, pursue peace with all people in holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And so we need, we need peace in our relationships. And it starts with us letting that peace rule in our hearts. 
We need that peace to rule right here if it's going to rule in these relationships around us. If we don't want people to feel like they're walking on eggshells relationally with us, then we need to let the peace of God rule in our hearts and, and just let, let things just roll off us like, like water off a duck's back. You know, just don't let it stick. Just forgive, forbear, be patient, be kind. And those of you who are married know that you get many of opportunities to practice this, right? Many opportunities to practice this stuff. This is very practical, on the ground kind of stuff. But this is applicable to every Christian. And Christ-centered relationships are marked by peace because Christ is the Prince of Peace. The Gospel is the Gospel of Peace. We are peacemakers. So let the peace of God, peace of Christ, rule in your hearts. Amen? I think there's a, a great lack of peace today. and There's so much going on in the world. There's so much turmoil, political unrest, terrorism, and just many things that would steal peace from us. And I think one of the key things here... So if we're going to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, go back to chapter 3, verse 2. Set your mind on things above. Okay, I think that's, that's one way, practically. If you want to practically let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, think about the things above and, and don't be saturated in the news. Okay, Now, I, I stay up with the news and I think it's important for us to like not stick our head in the ground like an ostrich and like, I'm not going to pay attention to all these tragedies and all these things going on around us. We should know what's going on. We should pray about them. But we shouldn't like just dwell and meditate on them to where they, they rob us of peace and get us in fear where we're like, you know, unstable and agitated and we can't function because we're all worried about what's going to happen in the world. And we got kids around us to take care of or we got a husband or a wife to to care for and love, or we got a brother or sister to take care of. God wants to keep us in peace. I was talking to a lady just uh, this morning who, um, she just lacks that peace, and she mentioned these things that are going on in the world, and she says she can't sleep at night. She just she can't sleep, and that's a common issue. People just are lacking sleep and getting medicated and, and going, you know, doing whatever they can to kind of get some sleep at night. And Jesus says, come to me, I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest for your soul. I'll give you peace. Jesus was able to sleep through a storm while his disciples were freaking out. And he's on the boat, crashed out, just chilling in peace. And they're like thinking they're going to die. And he gets up and he speaks to the storm. And what does he say? Peace be still. Peace be still. Jesus can do that in your life. And I pray that he does that in your life today. If you feel like you're in a storm and your mind's just, you're anxious and worried. Philippians 4, 6 tells us, Be anxious for nothing but all things by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So set your mind on things above. Meditate on what's pure and lovely right after that. Praiseworthy. Pray about it. Bring those requests to God. Ask Him. Let Just roll it off to Him and let Him... Bring his peace to your heart and your soul and your mind to guard you in these crazy times. Amen? We need peace. And the gospel brings this. The gospel tears down walls. Go back to um, verse 11 here. I want, just want to point this out. It says, Here there is neither Jew nor Greek, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Paul is emphasizing here, he's pointing out that, that Christ tears down 
the social barriers that keep people divided. The social barriers where, that, where there's conflict between Jew and Gentile, Jew and Greek, or barbarian and Scythian, or slave and free. He tears down animosity. He tears down social racism and hatred. And we got a lot of that going on right now, right? And the Gospels are hope. The Gospels are hope for finding peace in this world. And we get to bring that peace. The second thing here, or the third thing, is that Christ-centered relationships are marked by gratitude. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body, and be thankful. Paul, several times, in every single chapter in Colossians, mentions thanksgiving. Okay, give thanks, thanksgiving. We're going to see it next week when Pastor Mike preaches on chapter 4. Pray with thanksgiving. Uh, He says it several times in this chapter, at least three times. Uh, Be thankful. Christ-centered relationships are marked by gratitude. Paul expressed that gratitude that he had for the church the very beginning of Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, and other places. He was grateful for other Christians. He prayed for them. He always, he says, I always give thanks for you. He was grateful to God for other brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we're not grateful for one another, we need to be, aware, be careful that we, we don't start taking each other for granted. Recognizing what a blessing it is to have brothers and sisters around us in the body of Christ. We, we, we lose gratitude for, for one another. We've got so many things to be thankful to God for. And some of those reasons are the people who God's placed in your life. Especially those who love Jesus around you to encourage you, to pray for you, to inspire you, to listen to you, to help you in your walk with the Lord. So Christ-centered relationships are marked by gratitude and appreciation. You know, Brad and, Pastor Brad and Angela are here tonight, and there are two people right there that I am so grateful for that God has used in significant ways to impact my life. Uh, the love and the life and the truth that they've consistently displayed and walked in, the example that they've set of Christ-like living and challenging me and others and, and their prayers, their exhortations, their support and love have been significant for me in my life. And I'm grateful for them. I just want to express that. And it's something that over the years we've expre- expressed back and forth, just a gratitude and appreciation for one another. And I just think I say that a lot, like in, in with relationships, like with, with Brad and Angela, like I, I appreciate you. I appreciate that. And I think that. And so the next thing here is that Christ-centered relationships are influenced by the Word of Christ. Verse 16 says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Christ-centered relationships are influenced by the Word of Christ, where Jesus is being talked about. The Word, what Jesus taught and what Jesus accomplished for us, who Jesus is, the Word about Christ, the Word of Christ, who He is and what He's done, Christ-centered relationships are influenced by that. That's my desire for us as a church, that we be so influenced by the Word of Christ 
that that word would sanctify us as Jesus prayed in John 17. Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. That we would be washed in that word. That we would encourage one another with the word of Christ. Build one another up with the word of Christ. And contribute to God's work of sanctification in our life. Making us more like Jesus. And that that would happen in our worship. That we would sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That we would do that out of an overflow. Just think, what would church be like if everybody who attended and came to the gatherings were letting the Word of Christ dwell in them richly throughout the week. And they came here in this place or wherever uh, Christians gather and worship. I think there would be more singing, more fervent singing to God. I think there would be more encouragement. Words of encouragement. I think there would be more testimonies. I think there would be more serving and being like Jesus if we would let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. There's so many other influences that, that draw us away, that distract us, that keep us from becoming like Jesus and, and, and getting our minds fixed on him. And the word is there for us. To, to lead us, to be a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. Let it dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We want the songs that we sing here to be rooted in truth. We want to be people, as Jesus said, who worship in spirit and truth. The Father is looking for those who worship Him with spirit and spirit and truth. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Spiritual songs, I believe, are Holy Spirit-inspired songs, spontaneous songs. You know, when was the last time that you had a spontaneous song just flow from your heart, from your lips? Psalms, I think, are taken from the Bible, the book of Psalms, and hymns are liturgical hymns that we have in the hymnal right there in front of you. So we want the atmosphere here to be Christ-centered when we gather together in corporate worship. The last thing here is that Christ-centered relationships aim to bring glory to Christ. Christ-centered relationships aim to bring glory to Christ. Verse 17, whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Do everything in His name, in His authority, for the glory of His name, in the honor of His name. We want His name to be on our lips, His name to be lifted high, His name to be confessed here in this place. We love Him and we love His name. There's no other name by which man can be saved but through the name of Jesus Christ. And we're committed to exalting His name here in this place. We pray in His name. Amen. We, if, he, if God does anything good in, our, in and through our lives, we're going to give glory to the name of Jesus because of what Christ has done. Amen. So Christ-centered relationships aim to, to, to bring glory to God. There's many other things that we could say about Christ-centered relationships. Healthy, godly relationships where Christ is the center. Uh, you, you could say that cr- there's honesty. Christ-centered relationships are marked by honesty. Verse 9 of chapter 3 says, Do not lie to one another since you put off the old self and you put on the new self. Christ-centered relationships are marked by honesty. We can, we can go on and on. We can say Christ-centered relationships are marked by honor. You know, be, uh, outdo one another in showing honor, Romans 12 says, and, and, and so on. But here's just five points. I, I try to keep it simple. So now we're going to get to the practical. Now we're going to get to on the ground here, okay? So here's, here's some of the re- specific relationships that Paul addresses, and he starts with the most intimate relationship that anybody can have. 
with, with another person here on earth. And that's the relationship between a man and a woman in covenant marriage. A husband and a wife. And what a beautiful thing marriage is. What a glorious thing. I, I just love marriage. I think God was really smart and wise and like good in creating marriage. I mean, I, I got my beautiful wife sitting right here. And I just, just, I'm grateful for her and the gift that she is to me. And, and just, I see God's goodness, him granting me a godly wife. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And so I found that in my beautiful wife, Kendall. And Kendall, this verse is for you and all the other wives here uh, tonight. Verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands. <laughs> wives, submit to your husbands. As is fitting to the Lord. Okay, husbands, here you go. Now, you got something for you, too. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. It's interesting how Paul addresses first those who are under authority and leadership, and then he addresses the leaders. Paul says, he uses the word submit. Okay? And it's the idea of, like, if I had some, had a cup here and another cup, and I was... Submission is like just bringing, bringing yourself under another's influence. And we're told in Ephesians chapter 5, that all of you submit to one another in the fear of Christ. That we should have this posture of submission. By the way, this goes back to what Paul already told us to put on. Put on meekness and humility, right? He said put that on. It takes meekness and humility to do this. To submit to, to anybody, to the leadership one of the reasons why I think every Christian should do that is because every Christian has the Holy Spirit within them, right? So we should submit to one another. Uh, well, and God says so. I mean, just plain and simple. He says, submit to one another in the fear of Christ, out of reverence for Christ. But husbands submit, or I mean, wives submit to your husbands, and husbands love your wife. That's what a Christ-centered marriage looks like. It's marked by love and submission and consideration and there's this honor and a recognizing of the, the positions, the roles that, that God put there. Now, I know this is not a popular message right now, and the world will, will, will boo this down, and, and we might get some boos in here from this, you know. But this is God's design, and this is good, and we, we have to trust that God knows what he's talking about. He created man, right? You know, he, he created the owner's manual for us. He knows how things work. He knows how things work in this life and relationships and how they work best. And they work best when in a marriage relationship when wives submit and yield to their husband's leadership. And husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church. Ephesians uh, 5 kind of expounds on this even more. And, and guys, I think wives would be able to more easily submit to their husband's if husbands would really love their wives like Christ loved the church, I think husbands, we can make it harder for them if we're just jerks. If we're harsh and unkind and un inconsiderate and making some foolish decisions financially or relationally or whatever. And, and like, it can be scary for a wife to submit to a husband who's not wise and not kind and not godly, Right? It can be, that's a scary, it takes trust, trust in God, hope in God. Like, God, help me. Like, that's why a wife should pray for her husband. And I know my wife does for me, especially when, when she thinks I'm not making the best decision. She'll pray for me and, 
And sometimes, a lot of times, that influences me to make a better decision. And I, I yield to what God speaks through my wife. A lot of times the Holy Spirit does sound like my wife. So husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. By the way, Paul was a single guy. And, you know, he, he wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I think he did have some insight here, especially by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I think there's a tendency for husbands to, to be bitter and harsh towards their wives. Probably why. One of the reasons. Why, because we can kind of blame them when things don't go how we think they should go. I mean, that's what happened with Adam and Eve, right? Uh, actually, it was like, God, the, the woman you gave me after things went wrong. Uh, and then she, she blame shifted. God, the devil made me do it. The serpent made me do it, you know, and, and so on. And, and that's our tendency when things go wrong. When we don't obey God and we mess things up, it's like he did it, she did it. And God just wants us to repent, to acknowledge what we've done wrong and turn to him. So husbands, love your wives. Christ, submit to your husbands. I think a Christ-centered marriage looks like this. And this is an abbreviated version, by the way. I mean, Paul goes into some more detail on ch- in chapter 5 of Ephesians. So, children, children, obey your parents in, in, in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So real simple, real basic stuff, children obey. And if our children don't obey, what should we do, parents? Spank them? Okay, yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I do agree with that. Instruct them, discipline them, train them, love them. God disciplines those he loves. Sometimes love comes in a way that doesn't feel so good. You know, as a father or mother, when there's a rebellious son or daughter and they need help to get in line, discipline. Now, of course, we have freedom to to do that in different ways as parents, right? It doesn't get into specific detail here. In Proverbs, it tells us to discipline our children. Fathers, don't provoke your children, uh, lest they be discouraged. And and again, Ephesians adds in that the part, um, but bring them up in the the fear and admonition of the Lord. So train them, instruct them. Uh, Fathers, you have significant influence in the life of your children, and beware lest you crush them with the weight of your leadership. You have significant influence in the life of your children, so beware lest you crush them with the weight of your leadership, your words, your decisions, how you deal with them, because you don't want to break their spirit. You don't want to crush them and shut them down, anything good that God's placed within them. So be careful when you correct them. And just know that they're fragile. Know that they're, 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 they're emotional beings. They, they need love. They need affirmation. They need, they need correction. They need to be affirmed. Lastly here, bond servants. Obey your masters. You know, we don't have, at least here in America, the kind of slavery that was going on there. Now there are parts of the world that still have this, um, and I think it was a little bit different than how we think of slavery. But bond servants, Paul says, obey your masters. Work diligently as unto the Lord, verse, verse 23 and 24. Whatever you do, do work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that the Lord, that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance, your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. 
for the wrongdoer will be repaid back for, for the wrong that he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you have a master in heaven. And so Christ-centered relationships. I think this can certainly be applied to employers and employees. Employers, be just and fair. Be just and fair in how you treat your employees. Employees, don't work with eye service. Don't just do what the boss wants you to do when he's looking and when he's not looking, you're doing other stuff. Be honest and work hard. The gospel changes how we view our work, how we do our work, and why we do our work. The gospel changes how we view our work, how we do our work, and why we do our work. If you want a sermon on that, I got one on the website. It's called The Gospel in Our Work, and I specifically focus in on this. That the gospel changes how we view our work, that we work as unto God, and He's the, he's the one that rewards us. We're to work as unto Him, not unto man. And we work diligently unto God, not just cutting corners and you know, doing what we have to do. As Christians, living godly lives, Christ-centered lives, we should give our best and give our all for the name of Christ. Whatever we do, we should do it for the honor of the name of Christ. Amen? And we should know that our reward comes from Him, that He sees and He rewards diligence. He re- rewards faithfulness. So with that, I'd like for us to close in prayer. And this is what I'd like for us to do. Worship team, come on up. I want us to have a time of prayer and praise in, in song. But I'd like for us to break up in groups of three and five. And just I want you to turn around right with the people around you. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to pray for our relationships. We all have relationships. And some of them are great. Some of them are Christ-centered. Right? And then some of them are probably painful and need prayer. And you need God to work in there. And maybe the other person doesn't want Christ to be in that relationship. But you can do your part and and bring Jesus in there as much as you can by loving them, praying for them, speaking the truth, caring for them, displaying Christ in your actions. So we're going to gather and pray and then in a couple minutes when we're done praying for relationships. So just uh, let's target. Let's pray for relationships that are marked by peace. Relationships that are marked by love and grace. Let's pray for our relationships to be marked by gratitude. That there be gratitude and appreciation in our relationships. Let's pray for our relationships to, to be influenced by the Word of Christ. Pray for our relationships to aim to bring glory to Christ in all that we do. If you guys would stand up and turn around and let's pray together. And then we're going to come back together and sing this song.